I'd love to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one handy, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We are fresh into a study of the Gospel of Matthew. As I said, when we began several weeks ago, I, I like to see a church family return with some degree of regularity to, to looking at the life of Christ. And so we are, we're doing that this ministry year by taking a walk through the Gospel of Matthew. It'll take us a while. We'll be here until, oh goodness sakes, uh, through the end of June anyway. But uh, nonetheless, a chance to look together. Today we come at the, to the latter part of chapter 4. And uh, the study sheet in your bulletin I know will be a, a help to you as we move along. One of the magazines that I have the privilege of, of receiving and then browsing on a regular basis is published by the organization Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, some of you are familiar with that organization. And what, what that magazine does, among other things, is to tell the story of people who are following Jesus in different parts of the world. And it's a bit of a wake-up call to those of us who live where we do where following Jesus might cost us so much as to get out of bed on a balmy Sunday morning and drive all the way, whatever that is, and maybe if it's raining, rush into the building. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, the, the price we pay um, is so small. And in that magazine, Voice of the Martyrs, you regularly see the stories of men and women um, uh, who, 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 whose following of Jesus uh, takes more out of them in a given week or day than I have probably had to suffer in my entire life. And it captures my attention. It captures my imagination. Following Jesus. Today we come to a text in which Jesus calls. He calls some of his, who would be his disciples and apostles, he calls them to follow It's one of those texts where often my imagination, I don't mean in the sense of making things up, but I find myself wondering things. And so here, as we'll see Jesus calling some of his early followers to come, and I wonder, you know, what were you thinking? I don't mean, like, what were you thinking? I mean, what was on your mind when you heard Jesus say, follow? What did you expect? What did you receive? We want to look today at a number of things about this business of following Jesus under the heading, as you see on your sermon notes, or what does it mean to follow? And our our time will be limited. We won't drain that topic by any stretch of the imagination, but just a couple of things to look at from the text. But I want to pray for us, and uh, specifically that God would use his word. All of us today, um, having come to a a church service, listening later, um, thinking a bit about what does this mean for me? Not just then for those people, but, but for me. What does this following business mean? But pray with me. Let's ask God's help as we come to his word. Father, as always, it is with great delight that we open the word of God together. Uh, it, is, it is here that, that you, by the spirit of God, you, you feed us, you confront us, you point out sin, you lift up Christ. So many things that are functions of the preaching of the Word of God, and we, we ask you to do all of those things for us today in us. We come from, from such different circumstances, I know. Some of us coming to this moment having had a, a pretty decent week and, and uh, lightness in our step, perhaps, health and strength. Others having come maybe just, just barely making it in the door. 
for one reason or another. Some convinced of faith. Some still thinking it through. And Lord, we come, we come. So Father, would you, would you meet us here in the preaching of your word and point us to Christ. Spirit of God, you do your work. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. On your study sheet, there are a whole number of things uh, under the category of review. I would love to have you go there uh, just, to, just to look. I'm not going to go through all of those with you, but uh, if you are just joining us, it'll give you some sense of, of what we have said in the previous few weeks of this study. Under the, the, the section, though, called today's text, I want to take a moment here just to look with you at some structural elements before we come to our passage for the morning specifically. But, but Matthew 4, of course, began as we joined Pastor Tyler in his preaching last week. We began with the, the story of the temptation of Jesus. And we, we talked about that as the clash of two kingdoms. And the, the portion that's ours then today, verses 12 through 25, if, if, you, if you just kind of glance at it, you'll see it. And as we read it, you'll see it more specifically. It's leading us to chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of those several large discourses that make up the Gospel of Matthew. So it's, it's transitioning us there. The, the latter part of chapter 4 uh, leads us right to the crowds who are going to sit at Jesus' feet as he teaches. So intro to Sermon on the Mount, okay? Now, you, you'll be with us, I know, in the coming weeks. We're going to spend several weeks looking at different sections of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says all kinds of things. He gives wisdom for life. He gives um, texts that have been much quoted down through the years. He also confronts hypocrisy numerous occasions. Those who would say one thing and, and do another. He calls it out. Uh, Jesus was never a fan of hypocrisy. He, he, he calls us not to worry and tells us why not. There's one for you. Whole number of things are coming our way. Now, in the midst of this, uh, it'll be the end of November till we get there. There's a text I have printed in bold on your sermon notes. And I want to go here just for a minute, okay? Uh, it addresses this issue, this issue of following. And it's a sobering text, Ma- uh, Matthew 7 21 through 23, and I'm not going to place it in its specific setting. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. I'm just going to, I just want to read a few verses here, but, but my goodness, sobering words about this business of following enough. So to where we who read them would do well to sit up and pay attention and say, are you, are you, is it me Lord? As some would say later on at the last supper. So Matthew seven, then Jesus is preaching away in this most famous of sermons. And he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, that, that, that great day, which we have alluded the last couple weeks, on that day, many, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, do you see this? I never knew you. Can you imagine? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, uh, this kind of a text then is 
followed by Jesus' parable about building your house on a rock, not the sand, the subject of a wonderful little song I learned as a child about the wise man. One who hears my words, he says, and does them. So Jesus is clearly, at least in two different occasions here, he's wanting to say that, that following Jesus isn't just about external things. Not just, not just what you say. It's not just what you do. There's something else going on. And I, I, I think it serves appropriately. We'll see it. As, as a warning to us, a reminder to us, lest any of us be among those who, who would hear those terrible words, I never knew you. Wow, this is, this is a really big deal. Now, on the one hand, this little paragraph is a comfort because sometimes we look around at things done in the name of Christianity and say, you're kidding me. How can that be? And clearly in the text, Jesus says, not everybody who says the words knows me. Well, and I think we know that but we for sure don't want that to be the case with us, right? Follow. What does it mean to follow? Come back with me then to chapter 4. And uh, I want to read uh, this text in two sections. First of all, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, just kind of to place it uh, contextually, historically, geographically, just a few things there. And then a little more of our time will be spent in verses 18 through 25. All right, but let's look together to the word of God. Matthew 4 then, verse 12. Matthew says, now when he had heard, that's the he is Jesus here, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, that's John the Baptist here, of course, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, and here it is, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, uh, just a a couple of things here. You see it under the review section. You remember us mentioning this in the last couple of weeks. Matthew's gospel is just loaded with references to Old Testament scripture. Matthew is would appear to be writing with a little more Jewish audience in mind who are more familiar with Old Testament texts in their direct quotation or an allusion, and he just goes there again and again and again. Uh, for one, building on their confidence, their already existing confidence in the Old Testament scripture, and just explaining against, drawing the tie between Old Testament and New. And so he does that here with Isaiah. But, but let me take a minute on this. Stay with me, all right? As you look at Matthew's gospel, as with the other scripture writers, and I'm thinking specifically here of the gospel writers, they're not just talking. Matthew is not just going, well, let me just, you know, a cup of coffee over a campfire or something. Let's just, let's just emote. No, no. Matthew is telling a story, and he's doing it strategically. The more you study a book, you see this in the telling of the Gospels especially, may I say, because they're telling a story. The writers are, are strategic. And if you, in careful reading of the text, you begin to notice themes introduced early on and then carried through the story. And you see one part of the story building on another. You say, 
that's remotely like this. And it is. Unless you think it's just haphazard. Oh, no. Oh, no. These gospel writers are smart guys under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And they're, they're weaving together some stories. And there's a point to it. I, I, love, I love seeing those little elements. You go, was that just, was that just happenstance? No, I don't think so. He's telling a story on purpose. Now, um, just a, a couple of things. Again, verses 12 through 17 as a little unit provide some geographical structure. I'm not going to go there. I'll let you do that with a, with a map that you may have in the back of your Bible to see where those, some of those places are, uh, northern part of Israel and so on. But specifically, I'm after the phrase in verse 15. Okay, I'm going to comment on just a couple. Uh, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. What is it? Galilee of the Gentiles. Carefully pulling in an Old Testament text to underscore a theme that we've noticed already that Matthew is going to play again and again. You remember us saying early on in our study, and then again, I'm just going to say certain things again and again. Matthew's gospel, by all accounts, is aimed like an arrow to its last paragraph. Oh, all the other parts are important. I'm not minimizing them. But, but all the gospel seems to be headed toward that last paragraph, 28 chapters and about 15 verses to prepare you for one big paragraph at the end where you remember the three alls. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go preach the gospel to all, all the nations. And lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. The all, the authority of Christ has been built up and prepared. And this idea of taking the gospel to the nations. We've already heard a bit about that this morning as the Glessners have shared them taking the gospel to another nation, Mexico in this case. But the taking of the gospel to the nations. And here is my point. Matthew pulls in an Old Testament reference that specifically mentions Galilee, Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the, of the ethnic groups, Galilee of the Gentiles. I love that. I love this text anyway. It's part of our, our, the narrative we tell as we come to Advent right around the corner. I know how many more shopping days until Christmas. Don't start counting now. It'll, uh, you'll start shopping on Amazon even as we're going on here this morning. But I think it's the first Sunday of Advent that this is one of our texts, isn't it? We, when, we, when we look at the coming of Jesus the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. And every Christmas in telling the story, and Matthew here, our hearts together agree with, with the text, don't we? And we say, yes, darkness. I see it. I, I see it. And I walk among them and thank you for the light of Jesus is where we go. So I have on your study sheet then this, this target of Matthew's gospel aimed at what we call, <clears throat> excuse me, the Great Commission, that famous call to, to take the gospel to the nations. Now, the other element I want to pull out of this paragraph is verse 17. Where have you heard preaching like this prior in the text? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who talks like that? Well, yes, John the Baptist. We were there just a couple of weeks ago in, in, in chapter 3, weren't we? And we spoke a bit about repentance and this kingdom of heaven part. And you remember specifically first about the repentance part. And I'm going to say a couple things again. I pulled some of the same language and put it here 
on, on your study sheet, you remember us speaking about this very famous Bible word of repent. And we, we addressed it then as I comment now. Um, God cares what happens in your heart, doesn't he? Uh, how many of you were raised being told by parents, the, probably the words of your parent, now you still make your kids do it. Okay, say you're sorry. Were you raised with this? Big question for you. When you were made to say this as a child, were you sorry? Boy, you guys, I tell you, hard-hearted, hard-hearted. You can command a behavior, can't you? But it's hard for just mere words to change the heart, right? So God comes along, and it's all the way through the Bible. Oh, it is. We referenced this before. All the way through preaching to the prophets, God always caring about the heart. He always cares about your heart too, doesn't he? Today, what's going on in you? And so John the Baptist says, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then say here at hand. It's a, a term we mentioned a couple weeks ago that means like, like right around the corner, breaking in, but, but not, not quite here. No, no. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repent that big preparation before God, repent. We mentioned, as you see in front of you here, uh, some of the elements that the Bible draws to us about repentance. Grieving of sin. Yes, absolutely. Awareness of and grieving sin, not as a point of making up for it, certainly, but then setting aside confidence in credentials, heritage, good works, trusting solely in God's provision for salvation. And of course, contextually here, John the Baptist preaching, Jesus preaching, when they say repent and think about the provision of God, Christ has not yet died on the cross, has he? But, but repent, repent. God always cares about what's happening in your heart. You can, be, you can say you're sorry and yet be lacking that, that turning of your heart that is only done by the work of the Spirit of God. A change, a change on the inside. By the way, God, God still calls us to repent, doesn't he? Big difference, we said a couple weeks ago, between repenting and feeling sorry. Right? Often we feel sorry, don't we? feel sorry that I got caught. We feel sorry about the circumstances. We feel sorry that it's such a mess. But feeling sorry, even weeping, people sometimes will mistake weeping for, for repentance because somebody's crying. They will clearly, they're, they're repenting. They might even be sorry. Oh, caution here, right? Caution. Uh, not so much about everybody else. Caution about you. You may weep a bucket of tears and never repent before a holy God. So these are things to think about. God always calls us to change right here. And I think it's appropriate that we end up having a conversation with God about that. Oh, God, help. Please help my heart. I don't know about you. I don't always repent easily. Do you? I mean, truly change. Ah, Not always. Not always. The work of God in our hearts. Repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We mentioned some of these things a couple weeks ago about the phrase kingdom of heaven, a theme we're gonna, we've introduced ourselves to in Matthew's gospel. We'll hear it again uh, being played down through the chapters to come. And I'm going to leave that alone for, the, for, for the, our purposes this morning. Repent, though, repent. Jesus, I say here, came as a great light in the darkness. Now, I want to move to verse 18 and what follows and spend just a little more of my emphasis time there. So I want to read 18 to 25, and you'll notice as I read, there is a section of calling 
and then there is a little summary that follows, okay? And I have on your study sheet just a reference. I'm not going to go down that path due to, just for the sake of time, but those of you who like to follow such structural things will notice that this portion that has the summary is very similar to other summaries elsewhere in the book. And I just think those are interesting to track, okay? So I read then, beginning of verse 18, this second part of the text. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, then he, and again, this is Jesus, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, uh, later on, of course, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, or I'll teach you how to fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, here's our summary, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming, what was he proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds, what they do? Followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Interesting, again, uh, to, to pull out a little map and look at all the geographical places. Matthew's making a point about Jesus' travels all around the land of Israel and his little launching point here uh, up, up north. Well, I, I, I want to focus our attention on just a couple of things. Your study sheet will help you here. This business of calling, calling to follow. Uh, the term follow in English shows up four times in the text, perhaps you noticed. One is uh, the first call from Jesus, then the two responses from disciples, and then the crowd. There's a different following. All of them have the idea of physical movement. You're not just following, okay, we use the term follow when it comes to social media, right? Um, doesn't mean you do anything, does it? You just listen to their gossip. Listen to, you listen to their opinion. I follow them. doesn't mean you go anywhere. Well, in, in the Bible text, the idea of following uh, is a little more holistic. It has the idea that you're going you're gonna to join them. Uh, Jesus says, follow me. He didn't mean vote for me, you know, put my bumper sticker on your car, um, think good thoughts about me. He didn't mean that. He meant, okay, are you coming? I'm going this way. Ready? Here we go. That's what he meant, right? Physical movement is dangerous. Yeah, away we go, is the idea. So Jesus says, follow me. And for them to follow demands a response. You're either going to do it or you're not. Uh, so there's a, there's a physical element. And they, in fact, left their nets and followed. Well, they, they got it. And again, the other two, verse 22, they leave their nets and they follow. The crowd follows him. But, okay, terms may be similar among the latter three, but there's a different following of a crowd than of disciples, isn't there? So a crowd can come out of curiosity or to be entertained. In fact, some people follow churches that way or preachers today, don't they? 
because something, I mean, it's going to be amazing. I don't know what's going to happen, but it'll sure be interesting. Uh, I want to go follow. But there's a different following that Jesus has in mind when he says to these guys, follow me. I would suggest to you a call to discipleship, a call to obedience, a call to service. It's a, it's a different sort of call. He's not calling them to come only to watch. It's, it's a different sort of call. Now, that brings to mind all kinds of things I, I would like to hope um, about how we follow Jesus. And I'm going to be pressing on just a couple of those today. And in the next little bullet point there, I want to get right to that, okay? Following Jesus here is always about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a, there was a danger then and there is a danger today that sometimes people get the idea that to follow Jesus is to accept a Christian moral code, to go to church, to be a nice person. I mean, everybody loves Mr. Rogers. He's got amazing popularity these days. If I could just be like him, then clearly I'm a good Christian, right? I mean, isn't that what Christians are like? I mean, harmless. We get the idea that following Jesus is, is maybe even like accepting a creed or affirming, assenting to a doctrinal statement or joining a church. I'm not knocking creeds or doctrinal statements or going to church, believe me. But I'm, I'm wanting to say this to all of us. Uh, it, is, it is possible, even for those who know Jesus as their Savior, maybe for years, that your following can become less about Jesus and more about like behavior and a code. Did you know that? It is deceptively easy for living like a Christian to be, over time, less about Jesus and more about certain behaviors. And I, I find this moment so interesting because in the setting there by the sea, right? Sea of Galilee. You've got these guys who are fishing or fixing nets, as the case may be. And Jesus, he didn't bring it like a doctrinal statement and say, here, would you sign this? No, he, here, here he is. Come, and what's he inviting them to do? Well, be with me. Come with me. And, oh, dear friends, even today, we, I mean, Jesus isn't here physically like, like that. So it's possible to get the idea that, that following Jesus is a little more academic than relational. Maybe you started off with your eyes fixedly, uh, firmly fixed on Jesus um, as a person maybe years ago. And somewhere along the way, I don't know, maybe you didn't even notice the shift. I don't know how that is with your heart. But I think it's possible to have it become rather formalized, this following of Jesus, and less about knowing and loving the Savior. Maybe that's something you need to think about today. Is, is your own heart with Jesus. And maybe, maybe part of all of this would be God calling you back, not to a creed or a code or a statement, but to the person of Jesus, the Savior. See, a doctrinal statement can't heal your heart. 
a doctrinal statement or a creed. I love them. You know that. Come on. Creeds don't forgive your sin. The person of Jesus does. See? So we never want to lose sight here. Jesus, it, physically, right here with these guys, says, follow me. It's interesting, Mark, uh, Mark's gospel calls that out. Mark 3, 14. He, called the, he was calling them, it says, to be with him and then to send them out to preach. I thank you, Mark. Thank you for that. He called them first, first, before he sent, come be with me. Then you can go preach, but be with me is first. And I, I wonder how that is with you. And I would love the Spirit of God to, to search your heart on that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, this business of following, I mentioned earlier, I would love to be a, a little, uh, you know, spy on the hearts of these guys when Jesus first called them. What, what did they think they were going to do? What, what, what did they think they were signing up for? Was it, was it, I mean, a cool preaching experience? Come hear me preach? What, what did they think they were doing? I don't know. Uh, I, I wonder that about us. What did you think you were doing too? When you, if you, if you know Jesus is your savior, what did you think you were signing up for to, to be a follower of Christ? What did you think it was going to be? I was thinking this week about um, one of the disciples who's, you know, we often think of one moment in his life. There are other moments in his life. Got the name of Tom, Thomas. Right away, you attach another <clears throat> adjective to it, which would be what? Doubting. Yeah, I mean, come on. You just can't mess up once, can you? They remember it forever. Well, yes, there's that colorful moment in Thomas's life when he doubts whether Jesus really was raised from the dead. There's another moment that John tells. Here I call him Cheerful Thomas. Well, for reasons I'll explain. This is the, the story, John 11, of, of <clears throat> um, Jesus going to, to be with um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who had died. Remember his good friends, Bethany, outside uh, Jerusalem. And, and so Lazarus has died, Jesus waits, and then he's going to go up. And people, the guys know, it's kind of hot up in that area. I mean, there's some antagonism. And so Jesus is saying, okay, here we go. And he's, they're going to follow him. And cheerful Thomas says in this moment, Chapter 11, verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. How about that? Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the, the, the vote of encouragement. Obviously, you brought him along for, for uh, I don't know, keep the folks cheerful. No, no, sorry. I don't want to pick on Thomas too much. We often say under the doubting part that perhaps he's included in the gospel accounts for those of us who tend to doubt more. And maybe John includes John 11, verse 16, for those of us who, if given the choice of looking at the happy side or the lousy side, immediately gravitate to the lousy side. Maybe, maybe Thomas is there for you too, if that tends to be, yeah, it's going to go poorly. I just know it. Some of you are like that. Isn't that right? Yep, it's probably going to rain that day. I expect we'll get a flat tire or two. Some of you just think that. And then the, then the cheerful bunnies on the other side are going, come on, what's wrong with you people? Right? What do you expect when it comes to following? Day at the beach? Always fun? Always glad you signed up? What did you expect? What did they expect? Did they really know? No, no, no nor do you, do you? Where this road is going to lead you in following Jesus? Will there be good times along the way? Oh, of course, of course, of course. But what will that road, what will that look like? 
all the way along. Will you still follow? No, really, I'm asking. Will you still follow? Lord, come what may, I'm in. Jesus said then, as he says now, follow me. Come, follow me. I love that. I do. Now, the other half of that sentence, of course, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I've mentioned already today with the Galilee of the Gentiles and pointing the way toward Matthew 28. The the theme just continues to play all the way through. Jesus is calling us not just to take a walk. He's calling us to join his mission, to join his plan. As explained here, I'll make you become fishers of men, fishers of people. I want you to, now they're going to fish again, by the way. Lest you think not, oh, they lay down their nets here. That doesn't mean they never fish again. I'm quite confident that they do. In fact, we find them doing so later in other gospel accounts. They're still, they still know how to fish, still called get lunch. So I think they still fished. Uh, but nonetheless, Jesus is calling them. Uh, it, it, yes, certainly in the, in the region. My goodness sakes, people fish there. These are fishermen. He's using an analogy very familiar to them to say, I, I want you to see your life and your future through a different lens. Whether you're physically fishing or taking a walk with me, I want you to be thinking with the lens of fishing for people. That's what I want you to be doing. Now, I want to be careful here. Uh, Jesus was calling some specific people, these disciples, to a specific task, the 12, to follow him, apostles, those on whom the church is, is built, and so on. He's calling these specific guys to a very specific task that may be a different, uh, different in, its, in its details than what he's calling you to do. He's not calling all of us to lay down our nets in the sense of quit all of our other jobs and immediately take up an itinerant lifestyle. So we want to be careful about the, the initial details for those guys and its application to us. You understand, right? But whatever that that is of going into the world, whether you're working a job or you're retired or you're older or you're younger, there's a call here into which we can enter as well, where Jesus says, I'll make you become fishers of men, fishers of people, where, where he's calling us to think different as we're going, to think great commission. By the way, I love how this is, in fact, percolating through Sunset Bible Church. I know that because I hear stories from you and from other people probably about you, whether through formal ministries or coffee in a neighborhood or reaching to a neighbor over the back fence or whatever it is, of, of fishing for people. I was, I was so encouraged this last week. Kathy and I had opportunity to, to be down in Albuquerque and we visited Catherine Dodge. Remember Miss Catherine, 94 years old, and staying with her daughter Kay, uh, both of whom members of our church for a bunch of many, many years. And Miss Kay, of course, hosting her mom, 94 years old, caring for her mama. She was just chatting. She was, I mean, just talking about, we asked about the place where she lives. And she said, okay, now that guy next door, he moved in over here. He, he doesn't have a church, but I've been working him to come to mine. And she worked the neighborhood to say who lived where, to say it's a wonderful neighborhood. She knew the, the church uh, affiliation or lack thereof of everybody within like, I don't know what, I'm ex- going to exaggerate here, but within a six-block radius. 
Because as they moved in or out or were out doing whatever, she was chatting with them and saying, well, you know, I go to what this particular church. They preach the Bible there and talk about Jesus. You ought to come. And some have, and I just loved how it, it percolated out of her. Hi, welcome to the neighborhood. You go to church. You know, I have a good one for you. It's a right. Secondarily about church, primarily about the one the church is focused on, right? But the, but the reach. And I see it here, too, not just with Miss Catherine and Miss Kay. I, I see it here as I hear through, our, through the grapevine about ministries and community groups and um, ministries taking place in the, in the neighborhoods. So much goes on. You're doing it. This, this living out the call. Fishers, fishers of men. Now, I think I've filled in most of the little blanks on your study sheet. I want to circle back around to, to one place, to one place. I mentioned earlier that it is possible to, to think a person is following. This is Matthew 7. To think you're a follower. And actually what you're doing is maybe going through certain motions. Maybe you're going to church or making certain moral choices. Good ones, I hope. And, and somehow that feels like being a Christian. And I, I, I want to close by just telling you a little story about a person who, name you'll recognize many of you right away, who at a certain season of his life thought he was a, well, kind of thought he was a Christian, but also at the same time knew there was something missing. In fact, he wasn't born again yet. Well, the names John and Charles Wesley are, are famous in the history of the church. Charles, the songwriter's brother, John, uh, less so on the poetic side. But John and Charles were, at one point, missionaries to America back in the early 1700s, right? And, and had never come to a point of genuine saving faith. Can you imagine that? So used to, if you will, so used to religion and certain cultural followings, maybe like you, that there had never been that moment of saving faith before a holy God. Interesting to read this story. John tells it in particular ways, again, famous in the annals of Christianity. But there was a moment after having come to America and then back to England and, and, and sorting things through. John tells the story of one, one evening going to a, a, a gathering Alders Gate, and, and there in this little gathering of believers, uh, one was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary. Commentary, I said, on the book of Romans. So it was not, uh, good commentary, by the way, good introduction, but, but nonetheless, it's a guy reading a book. And it's, you know what? Saving faith is less about how all that works out and the work of God in the human heart. Okay, and so as this one read Luther's introduction to his commentary in the book of Romans, telling about what he's going to talk about, (laughs) I'm going to take you to the book of Romans. It's a great gospel, Luther's going to say. John Wesley would say, "As, as this one read, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He says, and I felt that I did believe. About quarter to nine, he's got looked at his clock, his watch, right? His little Seiko on his on his wrist. He was describing it. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ. Christ alone, this is the core of it. Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
there was a work of God in his heart that was more than just him going to church. And that may be exactly what you need today. You physically sitting here or listening later. Maybe, maybe used to going to church or reading books or carrying a big Bible. I don't know. Got all the stickers and bumper stickers, etc. I don't know. But not that work of God in your heart. And maybe that's something you need to say. Oh, God, do that great work in me. I come today. Save me. Save me for Jesus' sake. I, I trust Christ. I do. Maybe, maybe that's what you need. Um, following, following. Oh, yes, external. Sure, sure, sure. But the heart is where it all starts. All the external should flow from that. And I just want to pray. I'm going to pray. I'd like you to stand. I want to pray for us that God will use his word and, and make that call, God's work, God's work among us. Pray with me, please. Father, long ago you called, even among great crowds, you said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And you called your disciples to something different, a call of discipleship, uh, follow in a whole different way. Lord, among us, that call goes out as well, applied by the Spirit of God in a way that only you can do, because you see us, you see the heart. And Father, I pray that if there would be those present or hearing my voice at a later time, who, who maybe, maybe even religiously oriented people or not, but aware that there's never been a moment where they trusted Christ in him alone, God, would you draw that person right now in a way that only you can do? Call them to that place of repentance, renouncing trust in themselves, and allow them today, this day, this day, to trust Christ in him alone as their Savior from sin. Oh, God, do that. Do that even now. Maybe somebody who says, you know what, I, maybe I thought, maybe I, thought I, I had that squared away, and honestly, I know I didn't. Oh, God, do your work. Thank you for the call of Jesus. We hear it today. Bless us as we go this, this day into the week. In Christ's gracious name, amen.